I had a very strange childhood. I had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Speaking with hundreds, if not thousands of patients over my lifetime that have healed from some pretty complex and incurable conditions, I'm always amazed at the percentage that have gone on to work in health and medicine in some capacity, looking to pay it forward. You just don't see that kind of response from people managing disease or stuck in a vicious disease cycle. It's why I believe your story really begins after you restore some level of health and not at the start of medical treatment. The story isn't just about regaining your health, although that is captivating sometimes. It's really about what you do once you have some semblance of health back and have changed your outlook on the great importance our well-being plays in our everyday lives. And that's precisely what today's guest did, going from illness to UK's leading biohacker and creating Europe's largest health conference. This is the story of the Health Optimization Summit with Tim Gray. Even before you were Tim the biohacker, you were Tim the patient, right? And you kind of became a biohacker out of necessity. Can you go into that a little bit of where you were before biohacking and kind of what led you into this path to where you are now? It's the usual route of someone being a patient and then a patient of someone else and then a patient of someone else and then a patient of someone else and a patient of someone else and it's all reductionist and everyone seems to have their bias or opinion and the newest thing that's causing people's health issues or the newest resolve like you know methylation is the new thing Um, or candy there is the big evil blah 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 so i started in the traditional route after just getting uh, i guess it started with a bit of anxiety and um whatnot and i was very stable strong-minded guy and uh yeah i just got a bit of anxiety started bloating i got um thrush around the filling in my mouth which was the connecting thing that's the beginning of the rabbit hole for me. I was in and out of the doctors every day. I got kidney stones after being away on holiday and uh, that hospitalized me for a few days. And all the doctors told me after seeing multiple specialists was drink more water and don't eat strawberries, which is just, I mean, they know what they know and they've been taught what they've been taught, unfortunately. Anyway, so yeah, it got to the point where I was having urinary tract infections and urinating, you know, 30 to 50 times a day and that's no exaggeration it was literally I would have something to drink and then I'd be in the bathroom and it was just it was a prison it was an absolute prison I'd been into the doctors every single day for over a week actually and it had been the fifth day in a row working day where I was in the doctor's surgery and I'd got to know the receptionists I couldn't drive there because I'd been so ill and my mum actually took me up and at 31 your mum driving you to the doctors is not something you expect to need. And, uh, and I said, you know, Dr. Norris, tell me, what is going on? And he shrugged his shoulders and said, we can't find anything wrong. And so I remember in the car on the way back thinking, you know, this isn't good enough. have to figure something out. And I think the biggest issue that everyone seems to have when they break out of the, men- the medical matrix, I guess, is that if our doctors don't know what's wrong with us, who does know? Like, it's almost like being lost in space without a cord to, you know, to a, a vessel. It's like, kind of like you, you need to, or we need to have trust in someone that knows better than us. And it's almost like, you know, when you tell someone that their doctors don't know what they're talking about in this, in a certain area, they go, no, that can't be right. They know you should listen to them. So like, it's because we have this attachment to believing that someone knows better and that gives us hope. Well, I think for me, I kind of let go and said, I don't care about any of that anymore. I just care about being optimal like I once was and healthy again. And I'm going to do what I needed to do. So I literally got post-it notes and I keep them everywhere I go. Again, I've built, I build and scale and sell companies historically. So I, all I did was apply the business mindset to my health essentially taking the emotion out of it and thinking strategically. Uh, So from the bottom up, mapping out every single one of the symptoms into, I I guess, a cause and effect bottom up approach until I link them all together. And, you know, for me, it was initially mercury poisoning, which caused a whole host of issues, you know, from cellular or nutrient deficiencies to 
enzymatic issues, digestive issues, brain fog, energy, chronic fatigue, viral issues, and also, you know, enhances if you do have the MTHFR gene variants um, or one of the mercury poisoning obviously enhances that somewhat. And people without the MTHFR issues obviously don't necessarily get the mercury issues in the first place because they're, you know, they're detoxifying properly or significantly better. So for me, it was a whole spiral and it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse um, to the point where I couldn't leave the house. So doing this cause and effect really helped me figure out the root cause without knowing anything about biohacking or functional medicine, anything other than traditional reductionist medicine. And then I just started researching each one of those topics and then fixing each symptom, each symptom until I was able to tackle the top one. And I think the nearest I know to that now, other than biohacking mindset, which I heard about, you know, six, seven years ago now, after I'd been researching for nearly four or five years, is there's a book called Toxic. I think it's by Neil Nathan. And he is all about Lyme disease or chronic health issues that no one else seems to be able to fix and tackling the biggest baddie in a, in, a, in a chronological order. So, for instance, you know, hitting Lyme first might not be the right approach, um, but attacking, or should I say, approaching the reason why you have mast cell activation in the first place before then attacking Lyme. So, you know, it's, a, it's about, a, I guess, a chronological order of attacking the right thing in the right order, not just everything all at once. So biohacking really does do that. Yeah, a lot of what we say in, in medicine, at least here in this functional integrated medicine, is peeling the layers of an onion, right? And a lot of people try to go to the core first. If you have Lyme, you go after Borrelia, but that's at the center of the onion. Until you can fix the terrain, detoxify, get rid of things that allow the center of the onion to persist, it'll always come back, even if you keep throwing antibiotics at it. So it was incredible that you were basically doing that. You were biohacking yourself into a healthy state because you had to. No doctors were giving you an answer. And you made that jump rather quickly, you said. You said you, you kind of went from doctor to doctor. How long was that that you were in the doctor's care before you said, I'm jumping out of this? Uh, it was about 18 months, something like that. So that's pretty quick because a lot of people stay in that forever for years and years and just get passed along and just continue to slowly deteriorate, get a little bit of boost after you do some antibiotics, go back down. But, you know, a lot of what you're saying right now is this uh, focus on detoxification as well as the terrain theory and, and creating an environment. Do you think that that was your biggest kind of goal in this and that was what really helped you was once you started cleansing your terrain, did you start to see symptoms relieve because you were tracking all of this? Yeah, I think the biggest one of all, in this is ret retrospectively, obviously, was introducing some nature and stillness. And I'm not talking necessarily meditation, although meditation is a, is a good area to start with the whole um, mind side of things and, and, and quieting the brain. But yeah, terrain theory or optimizing the environment outside of you, as Dave, obviously Dave Asprey calls it, optimizing the environment inside of you and outside of you to take control of your biology, i.e. the definition of biohacking from the man himself. I, I like to say that we're using nature and technology to mimic a natural environment in an unnatural world. So, you know, for instance, if we're, if we're not grounding because we don't have a garden or we live in a city with payments, you know, what ways can we get grounding to restore that balance that we need electrically speaking? And really, uh, you know, adjusting your environment is a huge part, but that obviously tackles the environment inside of you at the same time. Um, and that can be with your food you know, the chemicals that are going in and various other things as well. So I do think that terrain, both inside and outside, is critical to this. And I think depending on which mindset or area of medicine or alternative health you come from, we all seem to have a very similar core area to hit. It's really interesting when I hear biohacking more and more, and I only got introduced to it a few years ago. I've been around medicine my whole life with my father as a, a doctor and just traveling the world, meeting different doctors since I was little. And going along with my father at different conventions. But when I hear more of the word biohacking, it seems to me like there is this bridging of the gap between where medicine should be and where biohacking is, right? You're, you're looking at these kind of solutions and you're even saying things like grounding using energy, things like biocharger and other types of technologies that are being used by biohackers that are also being used in top medical clinics to treat, you know, chronically ill. 
So do you see the future of medicine and biohacking coming on a convergent line? Because so many kind of see it going opposite where, okay, more vaccines in this and these people are going this way. But I'm looking at it and seeing it come together. Do you agree with that? 100%. When I created the Health Optimization Summit, the, one of the core things behind it was not to call it a biohacking conference or a biohacker summit, like, you know, like my colleagues and friends, which is nothing wrong with that, by the way. But biohacking has an area of stigma to it, and a lot of people don't like the label. A lot of people don't understand the label. Media has also tried to destroy the label in many ways, talking about transhumanism and biohacking being the same thing. It's not. So my goal was to bring in health, fitness, medical, wellness, nutrition, biohacking, paleo, keto, any of these things together of saying, leave the ego at the door, put your bias to one side, what do we need to do to get to our ultimate goal, which is health and, you know, optimal performance, you know, and, and it's funny because there were several brands, for instance, one of them was Nova Thor, who is very well respected, I think in the medical world with laser and red light and uh, James Carroll, the founder over there, when I spoke to him and said, look, I really, really, really want you at the summit. If there's a brand I want, it's, it's you basically. And um, he said, well, we don't usually exhibit at, biohacking conferences because of you know biohacking being not understood he said but because you're you're including medical and you're not just about biohacking then i would love to and then you know they're an exhibitor and he was a speaker at our summit which was brilliant because it showed the medical world and pharmaceutical world and all the fitness world that we can actually work together and be in the same place and coexist because really all that matters is finding optimal health for everyone and the part two of what you said is that the medical world has saved my ass multiple times. I am very grateful for it. It's amazing how far it has come and the things that we can achieve. With chronic health issues, however, my opinion is it's flipping horrendous in most. And I think if the medical world embraced what biohacking has stumbled across and has some good data for, embraced it into their approaches not only could they help more people be healthy they could also make more money too and and i think that's where the system is failing now biohackers do incorporate some pharmaceuticals and various other modalities as well um, which are less accepted but we don't have the full freedom because obviously we don't have medical licenses or, or prescribing rights and a lot of doctors won't prescribe a biohacker something for to experiment with so while we do experiment with some things, we don't experiment with ultimate. And I think if there was more synergy, then, you know, we could conquer together. And I think that's really over the next 10 to 15 years where it will end up going. You know, you just have to look at 23andMe being bought out and um, various other companies like, for instance, Mark Sisson's Primal Kitchen, uh, which was brought out, I think it was by Kraft, uh, for a huge sum of money. It's showing that the traditional big food, big pharma are watching and saying that we're looking for what people are going to be spending their money on. So, you know, where should we be buying and innovating ourselves? And I think that that's moving fairly quickly now. So I think it would be very normal. Yeah, I, I think this definition of integrative medicine that so few really have, have looked at yet and still don't understand, it's truly the integration of all modalities from around the world, looking at past, present and future and applying it to the individual patient to address their root causes best and get them back to health, not to manage disease as we've been doing for so long. So when I say that to people, they say, oh, that makes perfect sense to me. Then why in the hell doesn't the medical community jump on board? Do you think there's a resistance because of just big pharma, because of healthcare insurance isn't covering this yet? What is it that people aren't really jumping on board and there's kind of a minority, you'd say, that knows about this, but the majority still believes in conventional medicine to solve all answers, even chronic disease. This is a multifaceted answer. Number one is bearing in mind that a lot of medical professionals, and I'm not talking necessarily functional or integrated, because I feel like they're a lot more flexible and stuck, less stuck in their ways. In fact, they're very free-flowing and ready, ready to experiment with some things traditional general, uh, general practitioners or traditional Western medicine have been taught something that's been commonplace for 20 years or 10 years, and they've been doing it for 20 years. They've been helping patients their whole career, 
if they're told that what they've been doing has been wrong and actually been hurting people, what would that do to someone psychologically speaking? You know, oh my God, I came into this industry to help people. And now I know that this, 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 this patient had the opposite. And I actually could have done more by doing less. You know, that's going to be very hard hitting to someone. And so therefore, we're, you know, things that hurt us, we keep at a distance, whether or not that's an ex-partner, whether or not it's a past behavior, we blank these things out. And that's just basic psychology. So I think that that's number one. Some things haven't been adopted because it goes against the grain of what they've been taught a long time ago. The second point is that as a medical practitioner or a medical professional, you are at risk of losing your license for talking about some things. And Big Pharma has, knows this, obviously, and it is geared this way to keep people practicing stuff that one has been tried and tested for a long time. Because if doctors listened to everything a little biohacker talked about online, they would be implementing all these things that haven't been tried or tested. So that's point one. Number two is that it won't be selling pharmaceuticals. Now, I appreciate that, you know, this may be controversial, but the point is I, I am not against Big Pharma at all. I'm being very explicit with this. I am saying that we need to integrate, as we were discussing a minute ago, to make this work better. And I think if the same rules are in place for medical pr practitioners, but they were able to explore areas and have a certain amount of cases a year where they were to explore alternative treatments like once upon a time acupuncture was allowed in just crept in a little bit and now look how readily available acupuncture is which was woo woo many years ago you know we could see this approach more often and medical insurance do cover in the uk anyway things like acupuncture alternative treatments or you know chiropractors or you know myofascial release alternative treatments so i do think it's possible and 1% improvement does imply that it can be significantly more. So to, to round off on that, I think that if medical practitioners were giving a little bit more freedom and were less scared of losing their license and everyone got together in the same mindset, then I think it would affect change quite quickly. Yeah. It's my opinion anyway. No, I, I second that opinion. And I always thought in, in the medical industry, it seems like there's a very big scarcity mindset. Like there's only a certain amount of the pie and everyone's fighting for it. And, you know, the patients are, are, you know, have to stay in the medical system and pump out as much profits as possible. But if we apply an abundant mindset and all come together, I think we'll see we could, everyone can make more than enough money, energy and help people. And it won't be such an issue of, you know, pharma versus alternative versus everything else. And again, it just seems like we're, we're already moving in that direction. It's helping people. And you're hearing these stories such as yourself from our center. We see them all the time. And it, it just goes to show that, that when you open yourself up just a little bit, that 1%, you could see gigantic changes and shifts happening. And I definitely think that's where we'll be going. How quickly that happens is really up to, I think, the people, not even the industry itself. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about money and making money, Ultimately, and it's growing, we're, all we do is swap around money between us all. It's just energy, right? It's just energy transfer. Yep. Someone is collecting more than others, granted. And there's a few people that are very good at collecting it than others. The point is, it is just transfer of ownership of something. And there is enough for it, for it to go around. In fact, you know, they're printing more and more money. <laughs> there's even more of it to go around, although it's becoming worth worth less and less but it's a different argument <laughs> the point is I, I do think that yeah there's enough people and there's enough money for everyone and i think with the right approach that it's possible for it to be widespread approach with biohacking or functional medicine integrated medicine and all these things yeah let's get back to your story a little bit because you biohacked yourself into health and now you're you're a healthy being and like so many patients i know that have regained their health you almost paid it forward. You kept going. Your story almost started at the point of regaining your health. And you kept going into creating the Health Optimization Summit, creating these meetups. Can you go into that and where that story started there and kind of led into this large, large meeting now that is a, a yearly, annually kind of thing that so many people come to and is the largest in Europe, right? Well, first of all, I'm not completely healthy. Um, or should I say, I am healthy but I do have some things I'm working on. We're always healing, right? Always. <laughs> there are some things and it's not me striving for perfection, although I do. 
yeah, there are some things I'm working on. But um, yeah, I think when I got into biohacking, or should I say, before I realized what biohacking was, I was doing a lot of these things. I was testing out different supplements. I was tracking a load of stuff. And a colleague told me about Bulletproof Coffee. And, um, you know, I didn't really understand ketogenic. I didn't understand high fat. All I saw was a puddle of oil and butter sitting on the top of a coffee because he didn't know how to make it. Um, but, you know, he was into modafinil and all these things. And I, I, I realized that there was something like biohacking and that there was a load of crazy people out there like me. Although earlier days, Bulletproof was more aimed at high performance um, you know, um, business execs and things, but obviously Dave Asprey coming from sickness himself, and um, you know it, that's where the spin, the original spin on the whole biohacking thing came from. So it kind of evolved, and now it's wider. It's for high performance athletes. It's for everyone, including people with chronic health issues. And you know, Dave's very vocal about all of those. So for me, once I heard about Bulletproof, uh, I started listening to Dave's podcast a lot. You know, I listened to every word of just about every one of them for a very long time. I'd been reading Makoda, Dr. Makoda's emails, you know, since 2010, something like that, maybe a bit before. So I learned quite a few things along the way. I reversed my mum's osteopenia from learning from Dr. Makoda and being able to research some of those things. And then I'd listened to so many episodes of Bulletproof. And then one day Dave talked about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And it was just a 30 second, you know, you've got to try this type thing so i googled hyperbaric oxygen therapy i searched across the uk for a clinic there was one other than a you know a medical hospital that that you couldn't get into um i went and tried it out and then halfway through the session i felt different i felt alert i felt alive i knew that there was something in it and then that night i had the best night's sleep i had done for ages it was like my body went into parasympathetic mode finally so i did that several times a week it was very expensive, like 180 bucks an hour minimum. And it was taking me two hours to get there, two hours back with two hours in the middle. So it was, you know, running a couple of companies by that point, I didn't have the time. So I decided to open a clinic up in central London. I built it over the space of a month, hired the PhD um, to um, run the clinic for me. And I now built processes. And so it's self-running. I was in the clinic pretty much every other day. Now, that is really got me on the map because I got to meet quite a few people on Instagram because I was this hyperbaric guy. I got a few influencers and health people through the clinic. I got to meet the Bulletproof guys that were in the UK at the, at the time and also did the Tony Robbins event for Bulletproof. And as a thank you, they gave me a ticket to the Bulletproof conference in Pasadena in 2017. And when I got there, I was just like, holy crap, there's a whole, whole community of people out there. I didn't realize how freaking huge it was and yeah and I just loved it and I, I went with my big brother who's you know very he's a muggle in this respect he doesn't really um doesn't didn't really believe in it that much but he had a great time picked up a few things when we came back it was like an anti-climax there was like three or four of us in the UK no scene no movement so I decided to start up a meetup group called the biohacker London meetup group thinking I'd have four or five friends join it and you know we'd have a little meetup once a month and it grew to you know four or five six hundred people very quickly and then one day I said to my mum you know I got this whole group of 600 biohackers and she said what's a biohacker it's a bit of a weird word and I said well you know it's kind of like people that use data and science and technology to optimize their health she said hey you should think about that now being a marketer and you know having 20 years in psychology and digital marketing behind me I kind of like listen to every conversation I had and would make a note of the different keywords that people would mention. Health and optimization came up so many times, but no one had connected the two or so I had thought. And then um, one day I said to uh, my, my very dear friend, Dr. Scott Share, who I met through uh, Don Diagostino and uh, the Hyperbaric Conference over in Denver a few years back, I said, I'm going to do the health optimization and Biohacker London. He said, oh, Dr. Ted Akihosto and I are running health optimization medicine. And he said, that's a coincidence. And so I was like, there's something in it. So we changed the label of the meetup group to be Biohack and Health Optimization London. And it you know, kind of doubled, tripled, quadrupled very, very, very quickly because it brought in the mindset of Biohacker, but not with the label. So I knew that we were onto something. And then I decided to do a conference. And... Um, reached out to uh, Dave or um, Martin Tobias who used to run the labs for Dave 
and also paleo effects who are you know, amazing guys and i knew that if i had the titans on my side you know i would have strategic support to be able to conquer england which we did and um, and then year one of the summit had 1200 people nearly uh, 40 speakers 50 exhibitors and you know we i was told that we were more like a year three or four in year one um, and it was a very smooth event so after which dave invested um, he said he's now a major stakeholder in it for me. So I run, you know, I guess kind of run the UK part. So it's been a really fun journey. And now as a result, I've got, I'm working on a book, also working on a digital course at the moment and uh, also the summit. So it's been a very interesting and fun ride for me. I mean, it goes to show the, the power of health in general and the interest of people. Because I, I always feel a little bit mixed on this is where do you prioritize health? I see a lot of people come through our doors at the clinic driving beautiful cars. But when you tell them it's going to be some, you know, thousands of dollars, but, you, you know, we have a good track record regaining your health, eh, it seems expensive. And you start to say, all right, well, where's your priority? Is it really health or is it, you know, driving fancy things, saving all your money and kind of, you know, sitting with your illness? But from, you know, the other side of that is look at the growth of something like Health Optimization Summit, which is all about optimizing our greatest wealth, health. And people are truly interested in that. And I think there is a movement going into it. And I think you're just, you know, able to capitalize on that, use your own story, do it in the right way and show people how to do that. I think the future, a lot of medicine and health is just empowerment and education is connecting them. Like, I, I love your, your posts on Instagram because they're of value. They're educational. So maybe that would be a great next question. What are some of the things in biohacking you could do that don't cost you? Because I know today you posted something on free biohacks and everyone thinks it's going to be expensive. You need lots of technology. You need, I don't have money for that, right? But it's not like that at all. There's so many free things you could do. Yes. Well, I remember being on stage in London a year and a half ago and it wasn't my usual audience, but I was sitting in on it because I'd been asked to do this. So I did live podcast and I said, Oh, when I flew to LA the other week and they all went, Ooh, rich kid. <laughs> okay. I guess, for, you know, for the, the, the audience, it was, just wasn't the right fit. But you know, while I wasn't trying to show off, I was saying, I was saying that I go to LA, which is kind of the hub along with Austin of health in the U S and so at the forefront of it, but a lot of people associate biohacking with being for rich kids. And I did a post a few months ago of biohacking on a budget because I've been told that I'm a rich kid so many times. You know, I started my first company with 32 pounds, which is about $40. And I got it to seven figures um, a year, you know, within two or three years, two and a half years, actually. And, and I've done that multiple times through grit and passion towards something I loved at the time. Health is now my passion and spreading the things that I learn is more important. But when you come up against a barrier such as you've got to be rich to do it, well, hang on a minute. No, it's where you divert your funds or your energy. And like you said about the car, you know, if that person couldn't drive their car anymore and they couldn't leave their bed anymore and they had 24 hours to live, you bet their bottom dollar they would spend every penny they had to get that back. And then probably moan about it afterwards, but still justify it by saying it was still a good thing. But beforehand, preventing, they won't do it. So when the opportunity came up to talk about biohacking on a budget to show it's accessible to everyone, that was actually my most popular post I've ever done. And I had more followers from that post than I've done with any before. And then I've done a series of similar posts, but today I just thought I'd do absolutely free because people still keep on saying, you know, I can't afford it. I can't afford organic food or I can't afford this. But I just thought I'd just hit it with three biohacks. And just to show that biohacking is just a mindset with a very cool label. You know, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is fantastic. I have my own chamber. Um, I'm very lucky to have one. And I built my, my, my career in an industry so I could have things like that, um, either as an expense or as a gift from the exhibitors or to trial out before I invite them to the summit. And I understand that not everyone has access to a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, but everyone has access to breath work and time. And if people say, oh, well, I don't have time, however many kids you've got, however, whatever else you've got going on, it only takes you to get sick to have no time. And if you don't dedicate the time to breath work, which is one of the most basic things you can ever do for your health, then you're going nowhere. And it's the same with natural light. It's the same with grounding. It's the same with clearing your life of, 
stressful or negative relationships or abusive relationships and filling it with love and amazing people because life becomes so much easier. So these things are all free. You know, cold showers are free. You know, you don't, you can, you can have your power cut and still have free cold water. And it's actually illegal to turn water supply off in the UK. So even if, even if you're bankrupt, you can have a cold shower, which is great for health. It's a free biohack, you know, or you can go and get yourself a, a, an amazing cold plunge uh, from Zocco Forge for several thousand bucks and stick it in your, your garden but you have both options so it's not just for rich people it's just you know do you fly fly first class or do you fly economy do you buy a bic or do you buy a mont blanc you know (laughs) they do the same thing ultimately right and you could start right now at any point with that so many people say i'm putting it off it's almost they use that excuse when i have enough or when i save or i find time when the truth is start right now one breath even right and speaking of breathing i know you're big on mouth taping correct yeah Can you go into that a little bit for those that don't know, because that's something uh, that's really interesting. It was actually the first semi-controversial post I ever did on Instagram. (laughs) Um, I was sitting in bed and um, I was chatting to my girlfriend at the time on the phone and I was on the video call and I had the the true dark military grade blue blockers on. And I was just like, this looks crazy. And I had the tape on the side of the bed next to me. And and after I'd finished the call, I put it on. I was just like, this looks crazy. But the point is, it's so simple. So I did a post on it. I mean, I think the very basic of it, and I like to read as much as I can, distill it into very basic, easy, digestible explanations because everyone's an expert. I don't like being an expert. I like being a curator. But the basic is we were born breathing through our nose. We're breastfed and we breathe through our nose. We should only use our mouth for eating or for kissing, not for breathing. You know, only in extreme circumstances should we use our mouth for breathing. The problem is it doesn't filter with bacteria that we have in our nose. You don't produce nitric oxide in the same way that you would do through your nose, um, which has a whole host of benefits you just have to google nitric oxide and and health benefits to see the massive great list of health benefits for it and yet when we talk obviously we we breathe through our mouth we you can hear when someone's throaty opposed to very nosy in their talk and we become lazy so not only we're not using our lung capacity properly we're not using our noses we're using our mouths and therefore we're not dealing with our carbon dioxide properly Therefore, we're under-oxygenated. Now, to talk about beauty, uh, beauty a clinic method, or should I say Patrick McGowan's uh, book, um, The Oxygen Advantage, and this is something that struck, really struck a chord with me, is if you over-breathe and you can't deal with your... We need carbon dioxide to get oxygen into the cell, basically. And if we don't hold our breath enough and deal with carbon dioxide properly, we will not get oxygen into the cell. Now, it seems counterintuitive to be able to deal with our carbon dioxide better to have more oxygen, but that's the way it works. So mouth taping, stopping us breathing through our mouth, and nose breathing, and having a slower respiratory rate, and holding our breath for longer so we get used to using our carbon dioxide better and utilizing our oxygen better means that actually we flourish and we operate as we should do opposed to being under oxygenated. Now, to go back to my hyperbaric oxygen, why it worked so well for me is because I'm an overbreather and not dealing with my uh, carbon dioxide properly, therefore under oxygenated. And that sounds like a real mishmash hug of war. It is. It absolutely is. So for me, I dropped hyperbaric as much as I was doing it. And I now treat myself with it uh, more from the mind space and um, shutting myself off from the outside world. And to when I really want a, a seriously strong nootropic, I stack, stack it with anaracetam and go in the hyperbaric chamber. And I'm super productive for a couple of hours at 1.35 ATA. But I rely on nose breathing and box breathing. And by doing so, I can now trampoline with my mouth taped, whereas before I couldn't. I would trampoline and I'd be... <laughs> like after, after 30 seconds, now I can trampoline every day if I wish to with my mouth taped through my nose without panting for air. 
And that also means that you're better hydrated because we lose a lot of moisture through our breath or we don't lose so much through our nose. So again, it's uh, compounded. It's a compounded improvement in health, basically, for doing so, just on that one thing. Absolutely. And, and to go to your point before where you had that wonderful sleep after being in the hyperbaric chamber, it is about activating parasympathetic too. Like you said, having that higher CO2 level at time will actually activate the parasympathetic uh, system too. So you're balancing your ANS, you're getting better sleep. There's this cascade of things that happen. And that's what people sometimes forget. They think, oh, breathing is just about oxygen. No, it's about so many different things that basically, you know, make up who you are and your health. So that one little action of catching your breath where I find so many people are just stressed throughout the day. We're living in a pandemic. We're always on our computers answering things. Every little notification is almost like a little thing to get the sympathetic nervous system going. Shallow breathing, right? And then you're having a hard time sleeping. Then that turns into hormonal adrenal fatigue and it just cascades the wrong way. Where the right way, simple, taping over and taking deeper breaths, holding it, getting your, your CO2 levels up, activating parasympathetic, that cascades in the right way. So it's, it's so simple sometimes, right? Yeah. And I think that's where biohacking is the forefront because, for instance, with my aura ring is, you know, everyone that's a biohacker and seems to have an aura ring these days. I obviously isolated various different things to see what would give me better sleep. And, you know, for instance, I found that having hyperbaric oxygen therapy before bed improved my sleep significantly, it actually reduced my respiratory rate and improved my heart rate variability and heart rate variability being an, an amazing indicator for overall health, obviously, as you know. Now, when I had magnesium IV before bed and I had uh, Kinton hydration isotonic before bed and I had a glass of um, water, 300 milliliters before bed, and if I stacked it with trimethylglycine, then my body came out of sympathetic into parasympathetic mode and you know, my heart rate variability doubled and my resting heart rate came down by 25%. Or I can be in a cabin on the beach, swimming in the sea 20 minutes a day, every day, you know, which I did for six weeks during the summer. And um, I have an even better heart rate variability and resting heart rate because of, I'm away from the noise. But you can biohack your way nearly there, but, you know, you're never going to replace the natural element of it. But, you know, biohacking gives you that knowledge to be able to take the choice. Absolutely. And, of course, nature is, is the best way. But for so many of us, I say, you know, what's the best way to live? Maybe, you know, in a cave, away from EMFs, away from computers, you know, getting outside all the time. We're just not going to live that way. You got to find that good medium ground there where you're able to use these little hacks to bring nature into your life and live a healthier life. Now, one of the things I, I noticed, and a lot of biohackers really focus on biochemistry, but I noticed you talked about, and you put it in your uh, actual um, IG uh, um, profile, is Ho'oponopono. And that technique, which we've been talking about with patients for a long time introducing, and it's a, a spiritual kind of mental technique, a Hawaiian one that, that has long traditions in getting back to zero. But you know, can you go into how you came about bringing that into your life and what it's done for you? And maybe for those that don't know, just a little bit about how to practice Ho'oponopono. For me, it's more about the mindset again, opposed to the specific. Um, it's a Hawaiian practice, basically, about forgiveness. Yeah. And for me, in my journey, um, before getting sick, I was a selfish prick. I only cared about um, making money and running my businesses and being successful, quote unquote. Um, then when I started getting ill, I realized that people that had been sick weren't just weak, that they did have things going on. And also I've tried to grow up a bit. And previously I would, if someone pissed me off, I would eject them from my life. That's it. You know, put them at arm's length. Again, we go back to things that are painful. We try to distance ourselves from. So for me, part of the growing up piece is, you know, um, actually this was on a plant journey that I learned this. Uh, and it flashed in, across my eyes in under five seconds. But you know, I dejected five or six people from my life that had caused me upset or I had an issue with or whatever it may be. And during this plant journey, I kind of, for some reason, it just went into my head that why do you eject people for being disagreeing or not being the same 4% of the time? You're forgetting the 96% of the time that they are amazing, which is why they were your friends or colleagues in the first place. And so I kind of like, it just literally just, I, when I came to or came out of it, I was just like, 
holy crap, yeah, I don't respect, don't respect people for the amazing stuff. I only disrespect them for the stuff that I don't agree with. You know, we can't curate the world to be everyone we want them to be. And you're just going to have shallow, surface-level relationships forever and never anyone with any longevity. And, you know, that translates also to, you know, Instagram posts. Sometimes when I do one, someone says, oh, I hate this post. I usually agree with everything you say, but I disagree with this, so I'm unfollowing. It's like, you know, and someone said the same to Dave Asprey the other week, actually, and I saw it, and I just replied and said, if you want someone that's going to say exactly what you want to say, there's going to be no one left. Point is, like, grow up. For me, having that saying on my Instagram is a daily reminder to me and to my followers and friends or people that I'm not perfect. I'm trying to be better. I'm learning every day and I practice forgiveness. And I actually went around and reached out to every single one of the people that I had ejected and made amends and um, have much stronger relationships with them for, for that reason. Um, with one exception, uh, who is just a complete idiot who I do not wish to have back. But, you know, you, 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 you need to know the difference between, you know, when it's you and when it's others. And um, so that's why, that's why I have that on there. Yeah, I mean, those four powerful words from it, right? I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Yes. And, and just, you know, keeping that in mind and repeating those words, you will start to strip yourself of ego and get back to that zero and kind of clear the energy to be able to take on what was, you know, probably a negative energy field around those relationships and those beliefs. So it's, it's a wonderful system. And again, free, easy, four words, that's it, right? And just keep it in mind and almost seems too easy. But I always say health really is in simplicity. We complicate it. And yes, it can seem very complicated. But when you strip it down, just like in universe and in nature, there is a simplicity and an order to it, a beautiful kind of, you know, order to it. So that's a, that's a really cool one. Now, outside, I know you said Health Optimization Summit was, is, is a little tricky during the pandemic. So how is that looking for this year? Is that taking up a lot of your time trying to organize it and get it going? 2020 was a nightmare for events. <laughs> yes, it was. Luckily, we have some very good exhibitors, brands, speakers, and colleagues and friends that have supported us. So we've continued to build the whole time. And we, you know, we're basically over 70% subscribed for exhibitors already. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate that we are in such a wonderful industry, in all honesty. It cost me a bloody fortune to delay it last year, but we've moved out to September 18th, 19th, 2021. Now we've just had release of the re removal of the lockdown over the period of you know the next five weeks and so on and so forth, and when big events will be allowed to happen again. So I'm very, I'm very happy about that. But I uh, have contingencies in place for this year. Should there be a lockdown again, you know, the venue, we've negotiated with the venue in a tough time in history. So, they, you know, I got a good deal. And if we need to postpone, it won't cost me anything this time. And um, all the exhibitors understand, but they can't put all their marketing efforts and all their exposure on hold forever. And they've got their budgets for the year. And a lot of them did very well, very well last year because of the health industry. So, you know, we're continuing to build. And if we need to change the date, we will. But we're building towards a goalpost. But I'm, you know, I signed up for a venue that's three times the size of what we need. Because if we have social distancing regulations, it will mean that we can operate at a third capacity, which puts us at 2,000 people. And our capacity target is 1,500. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been thinking strategically um, and had done plenty of SWOT analysis to, to prepare for it. So very hopeful for it, actually, very, very hopeful for it. And the, the word on the street from all of the exhibitors and speakers, the speakers are very happy. They're looking forward to it. As, you know, um, Dr. McCullough said to me, Tim, I haven't spoken at a live event in over a year now, and I'm used to doing many a year. I think it's going to be a welcome change. We will have things like vitamin D tests, uh, at, the, at the event and so you can have a vitamin d test and vitamin d shot straight away uh, which we have provided by one of our sponsors which is amazing and we have various other things in in place as well to appease other people but i would like to think by then we're in a very different world judging by what the uk government said yesterday which was you know we understand people are still going to die but it's a calculated risk and you know we now have a much firmer picture on what's happening and with the vaccines installing confidence you know, my opinions on vaccines, good or not, to one side. 
um, you know, it's, it, it helps a lot of people relax. So I, I, I'm very, very happy about this year. And I'm, I'm excited for it to happen. And the lineup is just like mind blowing for me. You know, Jim, Jim Quick messaged me a few weeks ago and said, brother, I'd like to speak in London. And it was just like pretty, it's pretty awesome because I love, I love Jim and his work. And obviously along with Dave and McCola, Dr. McCola and Vision from Mind Valley, they're all favorites of mine. So, you know, my hero speaking at my conference in London is just awesome. That's got to feel awesome. I mean, those are my top guys too that I love to follow and just, just so much good comes out of them and their work. So I got my fingers crossed for you, man. And, and I really hope that comes together. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you brought it up. What are your thoughts on the vaccine? Hey, thank you for asking. <laughs> are all cars good or are all cars bad is my, is my thing to say. I think vaccines have done wonderful things for us historically. And um, I think the world would be a very different place if we hadn't had them. I think they can be good and they can be bad. And I'm not going to tar them with the same brush. I will say that I will not be a crash test dummy myself. And um, I'm very happy for people if they want to go and do it, whether or not I'm happy with my mother going and doing it or not is another thing. But if people have their own choice to go and do it, that's fine. You know, they are the collective people that will help see whether or not it's going to work on a wide scale. Um, there is an area of vaccines being needed and then of areas of vaccines for money. And where this one sits on that regard, I have no idea. And, you know, I would like to think that the world is trying to capitalize on a true need opposed to creating something to make money. Um, I'm in the more give positive intention, you know, think of positive intention and they're just capitalizing on it. So my answer is I'm not for or against and if it turns out to be a good one, then I will have it. If it turns out to be a bad one, I will not. <laughs> and I would suggest my mum exactly the same. That's an honest answer. And, and I feel you on that because I don't think there is a right or wrong. This is not a black or white issue. It's a gray one. Everyone's different, whether you need it or not, whether you're in a position and that's that's a question for you and maybe your medical professional who you trust to make those decisions. But uh, you know, I have spoken to experts like Dr. Lawrence Pilevsky, who's a big talker on, you know, vaccines. And, and there are things people should know before they make a decision. It's about, I, I will say, informed consent, right? If you know what you're getting into, absolutely, that is your choice. No one's knocking you. No one's telling you you should or shouldn't. But if you go into it not really knowing what exactly is in it, what is it even? What is mRNA even doing? Is this the first of its kind? If you don't know those answers, perhaps you're not informed. But again, it's your choice whether you want to be informed or not to make a decision. Lots of people do uninformed decisions. Well, it's funny because um, Amy Killen, Dr. Amy Killen, who's a colleague, a speaker, friend, she's amazing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Amy, but um, she works with Dr. Harry Adelson and um, stem cells and also sexual optimization. But I hold her to a very, very high regard. I have a lot of respect for Amy. And um, she shared that she had had the vaccine three weeks ago. And I just said to her, I messaged her and just said, Amy, can I just ask your logic for why you've had it? You know, I'm not, there's no negative attachment to this. There's nothing at all. I'm just really curious because of how I hold you in high regard as to why you did. And she said, I've done many therapies throughout my years. And, you know, this is my area and also I'm seeing patients so it's not just for my own protection it's you know for my my patient's assurance and um you know rna isn't something that's new to me <laughs> um so i'm very comfortable doing it and i was like thank you very much you know and that kind of really changed my perspective on you know it's not everything people are making it out to be they're connecting the correlation versus causation, you know, vaccine passports and all the scary stuff that goes with it. I think if someone like Amy, for instance, um, who's very, you know, intelligent and smart and street as well, chooses to do that, then I listen. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, we will see. Time will tell. There is no right or wrong. It's, no, it's not black and white. It's grey. As you say, I actually did a post on it's not black or white last week because so many people say, oh, you're keto or you're carnivore you're this, you're that, you're wrong. So I actually know it's not, not that simple. Listen, health in general isn't black or white. There is not right or wrong. It's like you said, when people say, what's your diet? It's like, well, 
you know, it's, it's not one or the other. It's a personalized mishmash. I put quality and how I eat first, even over what I eat. So these are the types of things that you, of course, have to personalize it to yourself and realize we live in these shades between black and white. And I think what you said there before, when you asked that question, not to have attachment, that's a smart way to go about this discussion because it's been incredibly polarized. That's why I was a little afraid to ask you, but you know, you answered in a way that that isn't going towards the polarization of yes or no, because I agree. I don't think many people could really sit in either corner and talk to each other and have a discussion that leads people to become more educated and more empowered. All I care about is health. Yeah. I don't care. I have no bias. I don't have to stick to a certain song sheet. I just care about the goal, which is health. And that's why health optimization works so well as a brand, I think, because it tells you what the goal is, opposed to a label that you don't necessarily understand. Well, you know, I am a biohacker. <laughs> I am, but I am in it for health optimization. Yeah, no, I, I, when I did that talk that I mentioned earlier on about when I said about going to LA, you know, someone came up to me in the, in the halfway break and said, so Tim, what's your opinion on vaccines? And, you know, they were trying to provoke a response. And I said, at this moment in time, I have no opinion. And they said, you're weak. You're weak if you can't describe your blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, no, I just have no opinion that I wish to share with you right now because I'm still collecting my thoughts. And, you know, and they tried to knock me for it, as usual, trying to provoke a response. But the point is, is I'm being completely genuine, um, you know, absolutely and utterly. You can't, it's like, you don't break up with someone and say, all women are bad as a result. You know, there's some incredible people out there. So, you know, the vaccine is no different. Yeah. And that level of authenticity going into it and understanding your North Star is health, but you're never going to know everything about it. You're constantly a student. You're constantly healing. And that, that, that journey goes on forever. So, you know, you, you constantly learn new things. And then, of course, you could put your opinion out on it and experience out on it. It's for others then to decide as well. But I really do love what you're doing. Um, where can people learn more about you? So I, my main channel is Instagram, where I update daily. And uh, yeah, so Instagram, Tim Biohacker. And the summit is Health Optimization Summit. Well, I'm really looking forward, and I hope this one comes through. I'd love to be over there in London and meet you there. So all the best to you. Thank you so much for sharing uh, what, and doing what you're doing, and keep up the good fight. Thanks for having me. Tim's a go-getter, no doubt about it. He encountered poor health, navigated the system, and ended up finding the best way for him to optimize his health was to empower himself and heal through his own actions. That's something many forget. A doctor or healthcare provider never truly heals. That's all up to you. They can and should act as guides and catalysts for your body to restore its natural self-healing capacity and help you remove all underlying causes contributing to your state of unhealth. But don't get it twisted. We all have to take responsibility and become our own biohackers in one way or another. One of those ways is to get involved in organizations and go to events like the Health Optimization Summit, or through innovative medical centers like our own NYCIM, or building your awareness on what is out there, which is something we've dedicated ourselves to at Innovative Medicine. Until next time, keep writing your own healing story.